Welcome to the Growing Rural Podcast, where we focus on all things rural in South Carolina. We will discuss topics on healthcare, economy, education, and the unique culture that is our rural state. This podcast is supported by the South Carolina Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare. Please join us for today's topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Growing Rural Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Dr. Megan Weiss. Uh, Dr. Kevin Bennett is taking a break. Um, so it's my turn to, to host, and I'm happy for um, all of you to join us today. Today, we're talking about community coalitions, everything around building them, maintaining them, examples of successes and challenges, and really talking about some of what uh, we need to do or can be done, particularly in our rural communities in South Carolina. So today with me, I'm very excited to welcome Angel Bourdon, the Innovation Manager at the South Carolina Hospital Association. And in this role, she also leads the work uh, with the Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas initiative, which we'll be talking about today. And also Katherine Johnson, She's the director of Live well, the Live Well Kershaw Coalition, one of the coalitions receiving funding and technical assistance uh, through the Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas program. So thank you, uh, both of you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Well, I'd like to start off with Angel, with you, Angel, talking more broadly about the Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas. You know, what is it? How did it get started? Tell me, um, tell me, tell our listeners a, a little bit about all this amazing work going on in South Carolina. Well, first of all, I'd just like to mention, you know, I'm really excited to be here to talk about rural because South <laughs> Carolina is largely rural and um, we know that coalitions can be powerful vehicles for change and community health improvement. So when we think about the beginnings of Healthy People, Healthy Carolina, going back, um, this initiative started in 2015 in North Carolina by a um, funder called the Duke Endowment that funds programs both in North and South Carolina. Um, since then, South Carolina was able to come on board and bring, in, bring on additional coalitions in 2017. Now we have a total of 10 HPHC coalitions in South Carolina and 10 HPHC coalitions in North Carolina. Now the question is, what do we do, right? <laughs> what is Healthy People, Healthy mm-hmm. Carolinas? Well, it is an, a coalition-driven initiative, number one, and it's focused on um, community health improvement through the lens of healthy eating, active living, and chronic disease prevention. And when we speak of chronic disease prevention, some of the primary areas we focus on are um, diabetes and heart disease with HPHC. Mm-hmm. And in the context of those coalitions, they work with community members and local partners in order to select evidence-based or evidence-informed interventions. Mm-hmm. And it's our, our way of working on some of these very complex health issues that um, are in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's so exciting. One of the things um, that I've always uh, really been impressed with with Healthy People, Healthy Carolina is when I've had the, the pleasure of working with you or with any of the coalitions is how community-driven it is. Um, I know it's funded through the Duke Endowment, but the approach that the hospital association and the funder has taken has really been to let the communities lead and to bring bring the issues to to the forefront. Could you tell me um, a little bit more about what those community coalitions look like? Because, you know, we're talking about health and healthcare, but I know from working with you that it's not just the hospital and the health department. (laughs) Absolutely. That is my favorite thing about working with this initiative. Quite often, particularly with state level things, sometimes we create a template and then we say that this template has to be replicated in every single community. Mm -hmm. 
well, and exactly in this and way, exactly, and these are the steps, yeah, and this is how you do it. Exactly in that yeah. same way. Here's what it looks like, and here's what it should feel like. Here's what you put in, and here's what we expect to come out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not reality. Every single community is different, and so this work allows us to um, really take a community-oriented approach. So that being said, um, we have the, these broad goals, obviously, of um, you know reducing obesity, and then we have some short-term goals that we look at in terms of policy systems and environmental changes that occur at the local community level. But overall, we, as technical assistants, work with those communities and help them select the the right interventions or work with those communities to help them develop their community health improvement plans and help them really come up with a structured way of community health improvement. Um, Looking at our coalitions, they're very different. So today I'm super excited that Catherine is here from Livewell Kershaw. Um, They really, they, the genesis of that coalition really began somewhat with Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas. But then we have some coalitions like Livewell Greenville that has been around for many years and is established and has been a long-term coalition also working with HPHC. But then on the other hand, we have networks, which um, in the rural landscape, we're very familiar with the network concept. We have um, Northeastern Rural Health Network and Tri-County Health Network that also serve as HPHC coalitions and implement this work. I'd also like to circle back to something that you mentioned before. You talked about providing TA or technical assistance. Can you uh, explain a little bit more about what that actually, like what that means? I know that's um, something we talk about in health and public health and community work all the time, but it's not necessarily... um, intuitive what that actually means on the ground. (laughs) I'm really glad that you asked that question because, you know, we say TA for short, you know, technical assistance, but um, technical assistance can sometimes be a lot like those statewide programs that I talked about, right? So sometimes technical assistance is um, packaged in a particular format and that's the way that it is provided. Well, the way that we think of technical assistance is also meeting our communities where they are. So we have some standard things that we do in terms of working with the 10 coalitions that are HPHC coalitions. We provide opportunities for shared learning. I like to call it something that I stole from you, actually, (laughs) our, our learning community to really ensure that while we're sharing information, rather it's um, research, articles, best practices, we're also giving our coalitions opportunities to share with each other and learn from each other. The other thing that we do is um, one-on-one coaching where we have regular coaching calls where we meet with our coalition leaders. A part of the grant is hiring a full-time coordinator to work with Mm -hmm. HPHC. So we have really well-established relationships with them where we work with them and figure out what's happening in their local community how technical assistance can support that. Sometimes we have recommendations on the spot. Other times it's, let me go research that and I'll come (laughs) back and give you some information on it. So again, just really meeting the community where they are. The other thing that's unique about our technical assistance model is we have other partners that we work with. So it's not the South Carolina Hospital Association. No. It's not just Angel doing everything all the time. Angel couldn't. (laughs) My brain is not strong enough in order to be able to provide the Mm -hmm. um, level of expertise that our communities need to support them. So we work very closely with the South Carolina Office of Rural Health. Yay, another plug for them because they are experts in rural. So they are absolutely very great partner um, for our coalitions. And in addition to that, we have other 
um, statewide organizations that we work with, such as one that you're very familiar with, the South Carolina <laughs> Institute of um, Medicine and Public Health. We work with the extension centers. We work with all types of groups um, that we bring into that TA. So it's not just a one person telling you everything you need to know, but we want to find the right person to give our coalition's recommendations mm-hmm. and ideas. Yeah, and Eat Smart Move More South Carolina yes. and our state health department, DHEC, um, I know are very involved in, in that group. And there's even a whole meetings and work within those groups and then providing the support with yes. the local um, with some of the local communities. So another aspect of this program that I think is really inspirational and something that people can learn from wherever they're working from is that at the state level, really modeling some of the working together, the true collaboration, um, the bouncing of ideas, the people really working to their strengths and providing those opportunities um, with uh, with communities. So as you're going in and working with communities saying, you know, these are some of the best practices, it's not just showing or just um, telling, it's showing. You know, it's like, don't tell me, show me. Um, <laughs> and that's something I think Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas has really um, been able to, to, to help do in, in moving forward with um i'm sorry i wanted to share something else thank you so much for saying that because that's critical so how can we encourage our communities to model collective impact practices if we don't model those at the state level so you know in addition to the partners that you've mentioned just to give you a story about why a coordinated ta model Mm -hmm. works you know We have um, Live Healthy SC at the table. We all just attended that meeting yesterday and found Mm -hmm. out about our obesity numbers and how they're going in the wrong direction. So it really shares why this kind of work is so important. And secondly, um, HPHC is entering into a partnership with Eat Smart Move More and Blueprint for Health coalitions where we have joined together in order to provide joint training on health and racial equity to all of our coalitions. And altogether, that's 40 counties in South Carolina that will be represented in this training because we believe that if we bring people around the table with a common message, we're all able to leave and work on things collectively and collaboratively. And that's how we're going to really be able to drive change in the state. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely so, so important. Um, before we uh, shift over and um, talk a little bit more about, you know, really diving deep into what does this look like at, at a community level, are there any um, broad successes or any other stories um, that you'd like to share? Well, one story in particular, and it's not my story to share, it's really the story of all of our communities. So um, when COVID-19 first Mm -hmm. happened, all of our coalitions were having in-person meetings and they were getting things done with those in-person meetings and they um, had their strategies and their plans outlined for the year. And then, wow. We all have a worldwide (laughs) pandemic come, and then we had to figure out what is the right pathway forward. And I was so proud of the work of all of our communities because they could have stopped in their tracks and said, okay, our schools are closed, our churches are shut down, and so there's nothing that we can do. But instead, they asked themselves, what could we do to make a difference in our local community? And so what we've seen across all 10 of our coalitions, they turned on a dime. They pivoted. Mm -hmm. They started doing virtual meetings and having the exact same, if not better, engagement from their partners. 
And then they also doing started providing services that the community needed. So across all 10 coalitions, we've seen them do things with food access, mm-hmm. setting up food distribution sites where they were able to provide free food boxes and things like that. And so I've been proud to see how when we come together and we have these conversations and they're learning from each other in terms of what's needed at the community level, they are then able to catalyze that coalition and pivot to where the community needs are. And we see that that's an opportunity really ongoing for these coalitions. That's um that that's so important. I know. I think uh, all of us here and everyone listening, you know, all of a sudden, you know, in March, we completely had to change the way we're doing things. And for organizations and groups of organizations working to to do that together, I think it's really a, a testament to the the coaching and the technical assistance and um, the collaborations that had been built because clearly there were already trusting relationships between the individuals and organizations to be able to do that. And that that doesn't just happen. Um, It takes a lot of hard work to make that happen. So Catherine, I'd love to learn more about Livewell Kershaw and the experiences um, as part of Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas and also more broadly because I know you've um, the uh, coalition's been doing so much more work and actually just recently received funding from uh, from the Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare for our Rural uh, Libraries and Health Innovations Program, which uh, we'll be talking about more in another podcast, so everyone stay tuned for that. But Livewell Kershaw, you guys won um, in 2019. The Alliance for a Healthier South Carolina recognized you guys with the Community Innovations Award, which I think, you you know, the coalition's only a few years old, um, you know, really being able to bring folks together and how that really isn't an accident, but it's really intentional. So could you tell me a little bit more um, about Kershaw itself and also Livewell Kershaw, how it got started, how it's grown, a, a little bit of your story? Absolutely, Megan. And I'm so excited to be here today um, discussing this Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas with both you and Angel um, and tell a little bit about the relationship between the state level and the local level of community health improvement work. Um, I am always so eager to brag about Kershaw County because I love the community so much so much so that I ended up moving there um, just because I it's just such a great place to um, be connected with the residents that live there Um, just speaking broadly before we kind of dive into things some key pieces that I've noticed about the community is just this spirit of volunteerism um, and the willingness to roll up their sleeves and get to work, especially in our um, across all sectors in our community, mm-hmm. not just local government or our traditional healthcare partners like hospitals and clinics, um, but even our school district, even um, even local business are really really capturing in and and tuning in to this conversation about community health improvement and seeing trying to figure out what their role is in that. Um, it's interesting, uh, one, port, one side of our community that is situated closest to Richland County, so Elgin and Lugoff area, is rapidly growing. It'll be interesting to see uh, from the, the census we just completed how, how that has grown over the, over the past 10 years. Um, but then we, in, in comparison to that end of our community, we have the more rural portions. So we get out into the northeastern portion of our community uh, and we see um, see higher levels of poverty and the health disparities that we all talk about um, in the work that we're doing out in Bethune and Cassett and Westville, some of those uh, populations in our community. But 
really the premise and how Live Well Kershaw has evolved over the past um, just over three years is incredible. Again, it's another one of those stories I love to tell. Um, Back in 2012, there was a small group of um, stakeholders in our community uh, working in partnership with Kershaw Health, which was a nonprofit at the time, um, nonprofit hospital serving our community, Um, in addition to what is now our back Live Well Kershaw Coalition's backbone organization, the Community Medical Clinic of Kershaw County, which is the free clinic serving our community. They really got together um, in rallying around the 2013 Community Health Needs Assessment um, and really wanted to not only take the data that was gathered from that process, but um, really make an impact with it in serving that northeastern portion of our of our community through um, rural church sites uh, where individuals could come out and see a community health worker and um, be treated by a nurse practitioner. So in utilizing, going through that um, planning process and implementing those measures out in the community, um, the community medical clinic in fast forward to 2017 was able to leverage those results and the process and the 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 partners that were all gathered around the table at the time to apply for the Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas funding. So fast forward to 2017, um, the clinic was so excited to receive the support um, from the Duke Endowment to really broaden what the possibilities could be in Kershaw County, not just focusing on the northeastern portion, but really what would it look like from a countywide perspective to tackle um, community health improvement? What would that look like to be able to have a full-time coordinator? because it at that point it was really just kind of falling on the pieces or the pieces were falling on the shoulders of just dedicated citizens or dedicated uh, local community leaders that didn't really have all the capacity the resources and the tools to do this work alone Um, so it was really instrumental to be able to pull together, leverage the resources provided from the Duke Endowment to really grow the coalition to represent all parts of our community because that's not what it was representing before. Um, And so as I think about how we've grown from 2017, and I'm glad Angel brought up the fact that the co- a coalition, it looks different in every community. Mm-hmm. So we have networks in some communities, we have coalitions, and then sometimes it's sort of embedded into um, local government. But for us, it was really an, an addition or another puzzle piece into um, the model of the free clinic with the free mm-hmm. clinic, community medical clinic serving as our backbone organization was sort of, you know, we've got the the direct access or meeting the immediate needs with the clinic um, through access to health care and also access health uh, is is a network also in Kershaw County but then adding on the coalition piece to really dive into the upstream factors addressing the social determinants of health mm-hmm. so when we're convening community partners a lot of times we'll talk about you know social determinants of health and try and attempt to create a shared language around community health improvement work um, and so it's much more easily understood when we kind of back away from the use of jargon and talk about, okay, does everyone in our community have access to um, gainful employment? 
Do we all have a high school diploma? Where are we living? Where are we situated? What's our zip code look like? Um, do we have safe sidewalks? Or do we have well-lit parks for people to exercise in? Um, what does the law enforcement situation look like? Mm-hmm. Do people feel safe interacting with our law enforcement? Um, in addition to transportation, um, are, are folks able to safely bike to work? Mm-hmm. Are there is there even infrastructure in place? Um, and so those are some conversations that we're having at a coalition level, but also being able to break down that conversation into that more granular level. It's fun to see um, local organizations, even businesses or industry or even government kind of take the piece of the community health improvement mm-hmm. or collective impact work and have that aha, aha moment mm-hmm. or little light bulb go off and like, oh, like I have a piece in this. Yeah, it's I, not I have just, a place at the table. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm involved in this. Okay. It's not just this, you know, health care providers or mm-hmm. urgent cares or even hospitals are involved in community health, but it's really all of us. Every it, It's the broadening of the perspective of what public health is and seeing people understand public health is literally everything, (laughs) literally everything. Um, And so since 2017, when we first got started, I I can remember the first coalition meeting we had. We were at the school district, you know, it's my first meeting. I'm terrified, scared to death. I've got the hospital CEO right here. I'm fresh out of grad school. And I'm like, oh, I'm suddenly the expert, um, which was a humbling moment for me. And it's so it's so interesting to see how examining data as a community mm-hmm. has led and, and going through that process in itself has been so extremely valuable in building relationships and being really strategic and intentional about the work that we decide to undertake. Mm-hmm. And so it's a shared process with our coalition members as we, you know, Angel mentioned evidence-based interventions and, you know. So basically programs right. you know that actually make a difference. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> things that are, are we know tried this works. and true. We, try this. we know yeah. this works. Um, another community has tried this. They're similar to us. Maybe we should. Yeah, let's give it a go. Right. Let's try this out. And so it's been fun to see how um, going through those processes and the tra- it's like the translation of the information from the state level where we talk about things like collective impact and <laughs> all these high and mighty terms, the yeah. right? The state health improvement plan and all these like glamorous terms. And then we sort of filter it through our community language and we'll be like, mm-hmm. we'll explain, okay, this is what it is, but it's almost like you're, you're chipping away at the sort of academic Um, piece of what population health improvement is and you're just rolling up your sleeves and saying let's have a conversation about you know what are we seeing in in our communities what are residents suffering from what are you seeing from clients that are walking in to say Mm -hmm. habitat or the housing authority or Mm -hmm. our united way what are the conversations that are happening but also being able to pair that with the whole the cold hard data Mm -hmm. um all the numbers that you know maybe community members aren't quite as comfortable with or um and that and that's that speaks to the relationship and why it's good to have uh, T 
TA, technical <laughs> assistance um, for the moments where we are stuck or, you know, we have this issue or identified need in our community and aren't sure what to do next with that information. So, um, and, and from that process, so in our, in our first year and a half, it was for us specifically, it was really about seeing what the immediate need was in our community. And for us, that happened to be healthy lifestyles for youth. Um, our youth population was our large, is our largest population in Kershaw County. And so we really wanted, if we're going to take this from a preventative lens, we wanted to mm-hmm. really focus our efforts there first. And for us as a coalition, it was an opportunity to essentially get our feet wet in mm-hmm. community improvement work, um, in building this shared language around what is population health, what does health look like in our community, and also putting a definition behind what health means to us mm-hmm. um, and getting away from, um, while still holding true to the goals of Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas and preventing chronic disease in our community, but thinking about health as the whole person. Mm-hmm. So it's not just being able to you know, access medical care or Um, have the ability to go buy a salad for lunch it's thinking about the emotional health piece too or Mm -hmm. the awareness in the community or even the built environment pieces of what's provided in our community as well Um, but in addition to that empowering folks to be a part of that conversation too because as coalition members or folks that are leading local organizations you know and we I think I think we recognize this that we don't always we don't have the answers the community Mm -hmm. has the solutions and so come on like come Mm -hmm. on guys like be a part of this conversation with us Um, and so from that process for about a year and a half we worked really hard with our uh, local high schools Uh, it was fun to see them go through their own um I'll use another jargon term, PDSA cycle, plan, do, study, act, and some quality improvement there in implementing their own health projects based off of what they were seeing the needs were in their high schools. So that was a, that was tremendously fun and wonderful to see uh, our local high school youth do those do those really fun initiatives and have it be their own it was their own work Um, and it it almost in thinking about that experience specifically it parallels what we what I as a coalition director receive as support from technical assistance so it's it was almost like a train the trainer moment so technical assistance is providing all of this information research knowledge to the communities then the coalition is taking that information and then imparts it on community members to do the work themselves Mm -hmm. um, which is a much more sustainable model when we think about you know funding programs that might be a one and done but really imparting those skills on community members themselves and so that was a that was a great and fun thing Uh, that we were able to do that was really impactful for those students. Uh, But as we transitioned over time, this entire process of being an HPHC community has been a transformation for us in itself. um, Because as I mentioned, the first year and a half was a lot about learning about our own capacity within staff. 
of what we had the ability to take on, but then also wondering, okay, what more can we do with our community? Mm -hmm. And that's early 2019 was when we underwent the first ever community health improvement planning process for Kershaw County. So no, uh, there had been no community health improvement plan for our community before that time, but we really wanted to take advantage of the state of South Carolina, mm-hmm. the first ship um, state health improvement plan mm-hmm. for South Carolina, and also tag into the rural health action plan as well, while also getting local um, community data embedded into our planning process as well. From from our community health improvement plan, that has been May 2019 when it was released that has been kind of the the transformation moment the pivot moment for the coalition because it added so much Mm -hmm. um, structure to the work that we were doing and organizing it in a way um, that made sense for our community Mm -hmm. and kind of fed our community members into a place where they felt like they could really really be a part of the community health improvement process. So it sounds like the the planning process was important both in kind of taking what we knew uh, what about data mm-hmm. in South Carolina and some of the health challenges and the community priorities, but it also sounds like it was very much a, a community building event as Absolutely. well. So yes, you had this product, mm-hmm. but it sounds like the more, I guess, uh, the, the bigger impact mm-hmm. isn't the plan that's on paper, but the relationships that were developed through that and being able to have people um, people and organizations see where, where they fit in. Would you, because you said it was a transformative moment. Do you think it was that you had the plan or because of the outcome of the process and I, the working together? I think that you summed it up so nicely, Megan, in that it was both. So the, the planning process itself, because that took a lot of community engagement work, mm-hmm. you know, having the conversations, you know, I know that you're interested in this area and here we're having this conversation. Please, you know, please come share with us your experiences in this and but more so than that not just the relationships that were built during that process time but on the back end of being able to plug people in plug organizations into the to the priority areas that came out of that yeah, I, I agree with Catherine. It's something that we see across all of the communities. Typically, the first year with HPHC, we don't expect them to jump in and start um, implementing things left and right. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we encourage them to do is to take time to build that trust build relationships, identify the appropriate partners, go through Mm -hmm. processes like Live Well Kershaw goes through because that's a really formative time. And if they take the time to develop those relationships Mm -hmm. and do what I like to call the hard work, then they're going to be able to reap um, a lot of benefits on the other side of that hard work like Catherine and the team in, Mm -hmm. in Kershaw have been able to do. Yeah, I think that's something I'm really hearing through this conversation is that the work takes time. If you're going to make sustaining impact. I think you can, um, we've had, all have experiences where if you have enough money and you have enough will, at least of one or two people, you can make a change, but is it a change that's going to stay that everyone's invested in and and really building the community? So it sounds like the the purpose and the philosophy for Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas is we have the time. The the other aspect that um, seems to have come out is that uh, part of the funding also actually provides funding for a staff person so that it is that sustained focus and, you know, if anyone wants to go to those academic collective impact models, that is one of the things you have to have sustained uh, staff focus because, you know, volunteer work is hard and we all know 
so 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 important but having a sustained focus um something you mentioned before Catherine, that i'd like a little bit more um explanation about or uh, if you could talk about a little bit more was the concept of a backbone organization when you're building a community and i think that really would apply to a community health coalition but other things but what do you mean by a backbone organization Yes, um, Megan. So for our backbone organization, I really I would describe it as that organization that's really um, putting in the time, the resources and the energy to be sure that this um, this coalition is moving forward. Um, So when and maybe to better describe that Live Well Kershaw Coalition is not its own non for profit entity. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're not our own standalone organization, but we fall up under the umbrella of our backbone organization. And so when we receive funds through the Duke Endowment, that that trickles mm-hmm. through the, the community medical clinic to meet the needs of what's going on with um, evidence-based interventions or partnership opportunities for the coalition. Yeah, thanks. And, and Angel, do backbone organizations look different in different communities? Or Absolutely. You know, the Catherine spoke very well about what a backbone organization is, but that's also a core tenet of the collective impact model, which we encourage all of our coalitions to utilize in their implementation. And so from a backbone perspective, and I, I was really happy to hear Catherine mention Access Health mm-hmm. um, and the perspective of the individual versus the population-driven approach mm-hmm. to health. And we are grateful because that's the perspective that our funder has taken on this work as well. So with the Access Health programs where they're more individually focused, the backbone is typically a healthcare entity like the hospital or some group of that sort. Um, but in Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas, the backbone organization still has to be a healthcare organization mm-hmm. because that is how our funding is positioned. Mm-hmm. But those backbone organizations are encouraged and you know required to really work collaboratively so that it's not the backbone that's driving the decisions like we see in Kershaw, but that backbone is the member of a team that drives the decisions for that local coalition. Wonderful. Um, what are some of the successes that you've seen both in, in Kershaw or broadly um, with that? You know, we're talking about the collective impact model, and I know the, the program's a few years old, so we've started seeing some of those impacts. I'd like to give you guys the opportunity to share what some of those are. Yeah, yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll share from Kershaw's perspective. Um, as we move through that, the CHIP planning process, uh, the three priorities that came out for our community were access to care, um, mental health, and then healthy eating and active living. From that, um, of course, I, I like to explain it as we have sort of our, our surface level work, um, the more fun things that are just easy to see in the community, such as some fitness circuits, some mm-hmm. different things that we've placed around town in about seven different parts of our community. But then there's also this this work in diving deeper into the root causes of health issues in our community. So we do have that, you know, the surface level of um, addressing uh, chronic disease from the preventative lens, but we're also digging deeper and convening conversations around health equity, um, systemic racism. We're talking about, you know, 
the reasons why um, we have a high percentage of a homeless population mm-hmm. or what, you know, how can we as gatekeepers in our organizations shift the way that we're viewing our community or um, the individuals that we're serving by addressing Im- implicit bias, um, equipping community members with mental health trainings, um, all sorts of things to go to dig deeper and chip away at really addressing the root causes mm-hmm. of, of why we see on the back end these chronic diseases developing in our community and really addressing the picture of the whole person. I just want to say I feel like Catherine and I are in each other's heads right now <laughs> because, you know, I think your perspective on success changes as an initiative matures. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been with the program a little over a year. And when I first started, if you would have asked me that question, I would have rattled off the interventions that have been implemented. So I would have talked to you, oh, we have coalitions implementing working well. We have this many school gardens. We have this many community gardens. And we have however many faithful family programs and fan programs, I would have talked about all of these evidence-based interventions. And yes, those things are important. And those interventions are how we measure our short-term success with HPHC. So we're looking at how many policies we've implemented, what environmental changes have been made as a result of those interventions. So yes, that is important. But I think the larger success of this type of work is what Catherine talked about. It is catalyzing the power of the coalition, teaching community members that they have a voice and that they have a say in what they want their community to look like, Mm -hmm. and teaching coalition systematic processes that can enable them to ask the tough questions and then come up with plans for how to address those tough questions. So, you know, we have all been um, hit with a new type of convert, not a new type of conversation, but a more um, important type of conversation related to health and racial equity this year with uh, COVID-19 and some Mm -hmm. of the other things that we've seen occurring nationally. Because of the type of conversations that our coalitions were already engaging in, they are positioned well to continue to carry on community dialogue around complex things that typically you don't think about putting a format and a structure to how a community can attack these types of things. And so when I think about the successes of HPHC, I think really being able to to build on um, that strength that has been developed through those initial activities and continue to advance how they're really supporting overall community health improvement and not just in um, one specific area. Important work and having that those trusting relationships and the shared experience of working together when the when the tougher challenges come along that that definitely sets that foundation needed for that. When um, both in, in Kershaw and with the um, all the coalitions, are, have you seen um, any issues that seem uniquely rural or specifically rural um, with, with the coalitions? Um, something highlighted uh, in those areas? The the conversation that I have heard over and over for um, Kershaw County, and I think most rural communities are dealing with this issue is around transportation and so mm-hmm. for our community specifically we have we do not have um, a mass transit system in place 
Um, so that's been one of the key things that our access to care team has been digging into, you know, forming um, a long-term solution to addressing the transportation issue in our community. Um, and when COVID hit, um, through the CARES Act, some emergency funding freed up to be allocated for an emergent two-year fully funded or federally funded um, route in Kershaw County. Um, so since we were already convening the conversation around transportation, now it's become a natural fit for um, our coalition to then sort of um, head up the community engagement piece in capitalizing on this two-year route that we'll now have in place, but building off of that. But And we're, exci- we're excited about the progress there, but again, I think for rural communities, transportation comes up a lot. It does. I- I'll definitely agree with that. The other thing that I've seen from a rural health lens, I'm going to use a term that we use all the time, but I'm going to use it in a different capacity. Access. So typically, when someone says access, we, um, to Catherine's point, we may think about transportation or we may think about healthcare access. Mm-hmm. But um, that term can really be used so much more broadly when we think about the needs of rural. So, what we are seeing: food access, food deserts. Um, also, you know. If you live in a rural community, there's not a gym on every corner like you have, like you may have here in Columbia. And so we've really seen some innovative ideas from our coalitions and rural communities in terms of how do we address some of these other issues that are um, really largely because of geography. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Catherine didn't mention this, but they have done some pretty exciting things about engaging people in physical activity in non-traditional ways that don't require you to build a fitness facility and spend a ton of money to bring people inside, but they've created fitness circuits. And we've seen that in other communities where um, in rural, we really have to be unique in how we are approaching community members and using funds in a way where we can touch those pockets, Mm -hmm. like Catherine talked about in Kershaw, that may not be touched historically when people think about a particular county talked about the fitness circuits are there any you said some of the other communities did some other things have some other examples too yes so uh the first thing that comes to my mind is eat smart move more barnwell they have not done fit fitness circuits but they have invested in um, fitness equipment that is um Catherine, you know the ones I'm talking about that uses your body weight and is not right. does not necessarily mm-hmm. have um, weights on them. And so they have a particular community that they've identified that they want to work in. And so they um, are investing in that type of equipment in a park location so that people can access it easily and freely without cost. And then they are looking at other places where they can do that. So that's just one example. Another good example of um, an access opportunity has to do with food. So I'll use the Tri-County Health Network as an example. They, um, right at the beginning of COVID, speaking of relationships, they already had a really good relationship with another partner in the local area called Growing Cobb that um, did fresh food distributions. Mm -hmm. And then they also had a partnership with a partner that many of us are aware of, Food Share South Carolina. And, yeah, and so I think uh, we had an episode of the podcast last season. <laughs> exactly, with Food Share. Yes. So they were able to immediately leverage those partnerships and start um, doing food distributions right at the start of COVID. So 
they and then using libraries as access points. Mm-hmm. So they would go to libraries and set up drive-through um, produce distribution spots. So and they were all the way out in Calhoun County and in Saint you know Saint Matthews and different places. So again, when we're addressing rural issues when it comes to healthy eating and active living, sometimes we have to be um, innovative in terms of how do we reach those community members that um, are historically maybe a little bit harder to reach. What uh, continued bright spots or areas of opportunity do you see for Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas, Liveville Kershaw? I want to go back to a couple of things that Catherine talked about when you asked about successes. Mm-hmm. So now that um, we we have learned that coalitions are about so much more than interventions. Over the next six to 12 months, we really see an opportunity from a technical assistance lens to support our coalitions and some of those more um, complex conversations such as health and racial equity. So as I mentioned earlier, we're embarking on a couple of different training sessions related to that, looking at how we align current action plans with specific steps that they can take in their local region related to that work. So more to come on that front. Again, we've seen how all of our coalitions depending on where they're located and what their community needs, have been able to respond to food. And so with COVID not over, not close to being over. It's not over. Not over. uh, We recognize that this is an area where instead of just looking at emergency food access solutions, what are those long-term whole community approaches that HPHC coalitions could support their communities in when it comes to food. And so a lot more to come on that um, range in terms of things that we can do. The last thing that I would mention is PSC, Policy (laughs) Systems and Environmental Changes. We will also have a major focus on that. It has always been a focus of our work, but um, that focus has largely been embedded in the interventions that we're implementing. But over the next few months, we're going to be looking at how do we take that really as an overarching framework of HPHC and connect interventions to goals related to PSC so that it's more driven by PSC and we're um, maybe pulling away from some of the individual level approaches because there are initiatives that focus on individual level approaches, but we really want to focus on um you know, more of a public health, more of a community-led focus. And so we're really going to be looking at those kinds of things over the next few months. Awesome. Catherine? Yeah. You have a libraries and health program coming up with a social worker in the library to help connect to care and to social services. Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad Angel mentioned um, all of the the transformative work or, or how HPHC has kind of been this evolution of you know, we kind of started with evidence-based interventions, pro- programmatic level, and now we're kind of shifting a little bit into more of the public health lens that you talked about. And I think for community-based work, that that, that seems to be the best fit um, and something that I've really appreciated about Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas is the freedom of the community to choose the path that it takes. One of the upcoming opportunities that we'll have a chance to be a part of in our community uh, through the rural libraries and health innovations funding uh, that our community has just received, um, our Kershaw County Library actually, um, it, it kind of speaks to the partnerships and the strength of relationships we have in our community. So I was 
I was thrilled to see that that opportunity was open, and so I passed it along to our our library director, who is so amazing and innovative. Um, And so we found a great opportunity for not only a Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas community in partnership with Access Health and the Community Medical Clinic, but also our local government to really band together around putting a licensed social worker into our libraries where we see more and more individuals going to, to seek help um, in many ways, multiple ways. Um, but we see that as a great opportunity for our community members to then be connected to medical care and, and the social service needs that they're presenting with. Yeah, we're really excited to be working with you and the other uh, libraries that were were funded. And um, I think, as I said earlier, we will have another podcast about that for anyone interested in in learning more about that. I have just two more questions for you. Um, The first one is, is what have have you learned through this work? Oh, I love that question. So I will start by saying my own partnerships have been really critical in this work. So my personal background is I come from um, healthcare, hospital healthcare at that. And so my first week on the job, I was thinking about ROI and, you know, all of those types of things. And I had return on investment, (laughs) return on investment. Thank you. Um, But I had some really great coaches in community work to really uh, help me think more broadly about what it means to really help a community determine its path for improvement. And so that's one of the greatest things that I've learned, and I'd like to give a little plug for SCORE with that because we had some really great partnerships with them. And then the other thing, hopefully a theme that you've heard me champion throughout this conversation is that uh, this work is bigger than interventions. It's really about um, community health improvement. And with all of the things that we've learned this year in terms of um, the, the dangers of comorbidities, how... Uh, critical health and wellness is to to everyone Mm -hmm. not just certain populations but um, specific particularly in certain populations for me this work has become critically even more important so um, now not now that we know because it's it's not new content but hopefully now this gives us another renewed focus into Mm -hmm. prevention and why prevention is critical and why prevention with a health equity focus is critical because now that we know that we mean they're really um big downstream impacts if we don't start continue to work hard in the space now Catherine, what what have you uh learned through through this work one of the key things that i have experienced throughout this process and it has been a process it has been an iterative process I have learned so much throughout this. I know that we have as a coalition as well. Um, but I, I think one of the key takeaways that I have had throughout this um, experience is the difference between testing efforts or testing changes in community versus just diving in blind, um, you know, just being so passionate. And mm-hmm. I want to address this immediate need because the, there are people in our community that are suffering but really transforming that passion into 
let's take a pause. Let's let's be strategic and intentional about the work that we're doing to ensure that we're doing something right the first time instead of backing up or backtracking. Um, and so I think that's that has been a unique thing for us as a coalition to go through as a com- as and I consider ourselves ourselves a convener for the organizations in our community and the local government itself in thinking about what intentions or unintended consequences there are for the public health of individuals or residents in our community based on the policy systems and environmental changes that we put into place. Um, a lot of times we we have well-intended um, you know, results or, or programs, initiatives going on, um, but I think for us the key thing has been been f- attempting, and I, I think we're doing a great job of it, of filtering those activities through this this health equity lens and are we serving everyone in our community in the way that in the way that we are intending to do so and so I I think that as a coalition as we've grown and learned throughout this process that has become our responsibility officially or unofficially (laughs) I I feel that that's our responsibility Mm -hmm. um, to to be that sounding board for our community and and ask the tough questions about you know what measurable impact is going to occur if we do X, Y, Z, and how is it going to impact our residents? Okay, well, we have a question that we like to ask all of our guests. Um, How do you define rural? Okay, so I'll start by saying that every time I try and look up the definition for rural in South Carolina, I feel like I get different responses uh, everywhere that I look. Um, And so I was even thinking about this earlier. I was looking at some um, food food insecurity data actually from Feeding America. And so it was easy for me to look at counties and say, this is maybe classified as a rural county. But then I started to think about even some of our metropolitan areas have rural pockets. So I I don't feel that a rural definition can just be given at a countywide perspective. But to me, the definition of rural is a community that doesn't have easy access to some of the things that we would expect. So if there isn't healthcare close, if there isn't food close, if there um, aren't some of those other services that you would expect to see in a community that are necessarily close, that is my personal definition for rural and it probably doesn't match any of the research, but um, that's just how, how I look at it. Catherine? This is such a difficult question for me. It is. Um, but my, when I think, and you ask, how do I define rural? My initial thought is rural versus urban and sort of the technical language. And it, it kind of creates this, this connotation of us versus them again, where it's like the rural is always, you know, fighting to be more. Um, but when I'm, when I think about it, just at a very personal level, um, in in moving from Columbia to Camden, South Carolina, to be a part of a rural community, that's what I think of. I think about the opportunity for connection with with fellow residents, and I think about community because, as strange as it sounds, 
I didn't feel that connection in Columbia, but being a part of that rural community and the network that I now have in that rural community, that's what rural is to me. It is, it's just, it's a personal thing. It's just so personal. And can I just say that I love Catherine's response because (laughs) both of my parents are from rural communities. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I see as well we know each other you know the person down the street knows my grandmother and all my cousins and my uncle and my aunt and you know I meet a new cousin every time I go to a store and that relational capacity we see that translated into pretty powerful work in our rural coalitions and so Catherine I think you're you're spot on with that response And I'll say one more thing on the notion of rural, Angel, because something you said struck a light bulb um, for me. In, In rural communities, I think something that we don't give ourselves enough credit for is because resources are more scarce, our bonds have to be tighter and we all have to be on the same team um, to make that dollar secured go further. And so that's, I think that's a critical element to rural as well. Well, thank you, Angel and Catherine, for joining um, us today. Um, Just amazing conversation. And I learned so much every time I have the privilege of of talking to you guys. Um, And thank you um, to our listeners for joining us. Uh, We will be adding links in the show notes to uh, the Live Well Kershaw Coalition pages and Healthy People, Healthy Carolinas. And um, any other information that you guys would like to share, we'd be be glad to add that to the show notes. Uh, Everyone, please stay tuned for more episodes coming out soon. If you've liked what you've heard, please head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts and leave us an excellent rating. If you have any ideas for guests uh, you'd like to hear on our program, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And that's all for today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Growing Rural Podcast. If you found the content valuable, please leave a rating on iTunes or Spotify so others can find us. For more information, please visit our website at sc.edu forward slash rural healthcare or follow us on Twitter at sc underscore crph. This was recorded at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Columbia. It is edited and produced by Sean Riffle. Y'all take care.